Here we go! Hello, hello, hello. This is Gifford, and welcome to Omni, the podcast. It's great to be back. Uh, sorry about the long delay between episodes, but uh, got one for you today. I hope that it's going to be to your liking. Uh, as you hear, there's only one voice, and of course, uh, and, and it's just my voice. Uh, this is um, going to be a solo one, and it was never my intention to do this solo. Uh, I started this uh, project with uh, my buddy Luce, who has since, uh, how shall I put this diplomatically, has, uh, has divorced himself from this project. Uh, he has, uh, he's didn't necessarily stop ghosting me. I still have no idea behind his intentions because he hasn't spoken to them, but uh, he did let me know that he uh, doesn't want me to communicate with him anymore. Fair enough. I, I appreciate clear communication. And the last episode, I put out a supplemental episode back in December. Um, he told me uh, very briefly that he thought that, uh, that wasn't appropriate for me to do that and asked me to take it down and that he wasn't going to listen to it. Okay, okay. Uh, so that's the update on that. Uh, it's, again, not my intention to do this a solo thing, so I am trying to line up some guest speakers to come in, or, or a guest co-host, I guess would be a way. I, I do have some people that express some interest, but you know how people are. Like, oh yeah, I'll do it, but getting them to line up a time, getting them to set up, we have to, you know, get the equipment. It's not just, uh, uh, you know, casual... I mean, it is kind of a casual conversation, but it takes some getting stuff together. And so with trying to keep some inertia going, trying to keep a little bit of, um, you know, my original idea was, you know, scheduling once a month or so to get these out. I figured I should just do my best on my own to come up with something. So I put together some random thoughts that I've had about some some topics. Uh, I hope that you enjoy them with uh, as you're doing your, your daily stuff, got your earbuds in, maybe you're cooking and prepping some meals, or maybe you're working on your car out in the shop or your wood shop or doing something. Maybe you're driving. Uh, I know a lot of people listen to podcasts while you're driving. So w whatever you're doing, I hope this uh, lightens you up a little bit, gives you something to think about and um, hope you enjoy the show. All right. Block one today is what I'm going to call Desert Island. And the inspiration for all of this came from uh, the last podcast that I did with Luce. And he had mentioned an album that he would take on if he was stranded on a desert island. And it got me thinking, um, what would I have uh, taken if I could have only one thing, one music that I could take on a desert island? And so that kind of sent me down a bit of a uh, rabbit hole of thoughts. And, and so, you know, kind of unpeeling it, of course, was, you know, the hypotheticals. You know, first of all, what was I doing on the desert island? Was I stranded there because of a plane crash or boat accident? Was I, was I dropped there intentionally? And, and why am I bringing an album of, of, of the things that I wanted? Like, so is this like an intentional thing? I'm dropped off on the island. I don't know. And... It then it got me thinking about the, the medium. When I talk about like album, what is that exactly? Is that going to be like a CD, an MP3? We're talking vinyl, cassette tape, because that would have some uh, ramifications on what I would want to be able to listen to, right? Because there's limitations 
with those. They all are going to deteriorate over time. How long am I on this desert island? The vinyl can warp in the heat and the tape can stretch. And of course, that would also inherently imply that I was having a device to listen to it on. Am I do I have a power source? <laughs> or, you know, do I have a little crank that I have to turn? Maybe like one of those old time uh, stereos. I don't know. So, you know, there would be um, some some limitations in the medium, so to speak, in this, this hypothetical about bringing music on the, the desert island. And then I was thinking about what exactly are we referring to? If we're talking about the different types of medium, like what do we refer to as an album? Is this... Uh, could it be something like a, a best of album or maybe like a double album, an anthology, uh, maybe somebody's entire discography. So if you had like a collection of all of one artist, um, that might be how I might want to, to think about this. It would be sort of limiting to only have uh, a single album, you know, like if you're thinking about just a, uh, a vinyl album, two sides, front and back, there's not a lot on there. And the human brain processes memories and, and ties them with music. And I think that if I had just a one album that I was listening to over and over and over again, I would start associating new memories onto the memories of the music. And I probably would get very tired of it, tired of those memories, tired of those thoughts that were going along with it. And if I did, if that was the case, if I just had that one single album idea I I probably wouldn't listen to it very often it'd be like special occasions I'd pull it out because again I, I wouldn't want to get bored of the music I wouldn't want to taint the music with my experiences there I'd kind of want it to maybe a change but if I listened to it too much so if it was just going to be a single album maybe eight tracks or ten tracks or something like that it would be a very sparingly but what if I could bring an entire like I said a discography a giant collection just from one artist one band uh, who might that be? And to begin with, you're obviously not going to pick like a one-hit wonder. Uh, I'm not taking soft sell uh, with me. <laughs> um, so it would be something that somebody that had a large discography. And, of course, first thing I thought of was uh, Pink Floyd because uh, I love the Floyd. Uh, and they have a lot of songs. They, and as a matter of fact, I, st I think they're still making albums right now. Uh, not without Roger Waters, but... Uh, David Gilmour, uh, I think Nick Mason are together still making you know music. So this would be, you know, going back from all the way from the late '60s to present, quite a few. So if you think about like somebody that had a lot of uh, potential that could keep me entertained for a long time, Pink Floyd would be there. And of course, their music, you know, is great. It's deep. It's interesting. Lots of emotions. But then I was thinking, Pink Floyd's not really uh, cheery or upbeat. Even though it's emotional, it's kind of still limited. And a lot of their songs um, talk about how fucked up society is. And, you know, another brick in the wall. Um, which, if I'm on a desert island by myself, may not resonate, you might say. This may not be the kind of music that's going to sustain me for a long time with messages that don't quite play. Uh, so my next thought then, of course, we're not going to do uh, Pink Floyd. How about the Beatles? Um talk about tons of songs uh, in a wide variety of emotions that they covered. Um, you know, there was the their early pop stuff and then all the way to the Let It Be album with some of the more psychedelic sounds to it. Uh, there's probably, uh, you know, a song for you know, a lot of moods, maybe not every mood. 
and they have such a large library of songs. It, it, would it be possible to get tired of them? I, I guess maybe if you li- just listen to them over and over again. Um, but it, you would have a you have right. It might take a while. You might say just to get over them. And um, and, and but they're also very uh, overproduced. Not overproduced. They were produced very well. There's not a lot of. Um, jamming so to speak and besides maybe revolution number nine there isn't a ton of things that uh go beyond the music this is very much canned it's very and and that's why i love them too because it was so well produced but again is that what i is that something that's going to sustain me and then my next thought of going maybe just the completely opposite of opposite of uh, canned well produced might got me thinking about the grateful dead now, if this was a hypothetical situation and I could bring their entire discography well, <laughs> I uh, I might have enough to last a, a lifetime there. They uh, were obviously did studio albums, but they have a lot of live albums. They have albums that have been made, uh, you know, from their live recordings, not released by them, but some things like Dick's Picks. There's I don't know how many albums of Dick's Picks. I know I used to have a podcast uh, that I listened to that would have like, uh, they would just play the, the dead shows from that day. So it was like, oh, April 10th, what, you know, whatever shows they were playing that they would have on the podcast. And I thought that was kind of cool. But you could, again, you could literally go, uh, a whole, you know, many, many, you know, time, many, many years without hearing all of them all the time. And, you know, that kind of, that's kind of cheating, though, because uh, it seems like the, there are only so many songs. Now they did jam. They had their, you know, their space and drums uh, parts that uh, that could go on for a while. But again, kind of this idea that I felt like it was kind of maybe cheating a little bit uh, in 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 that uh, aspect of it. You know, thinking an entire discography and then you go on the, like their entire live performing career because they were all recorded. Then okay, I was thinking, well, maybe maybe I don't want something with modern like with guitars and lyrics and melody of such and i thought maybe i go to the classics and when i think of the classics uh my f- you know favorite would be of course mozart and just really think of the variety that you know something like that could bring he has his operas he's got concertos and symphonies uh so plenty of variety lots of different emotions um and it's weird kind of thinking about this, too. When you think about listening to music from a guy that, that died 250 years ago, but yet that emotional connection is still there. When you hear, uh, you know, for example, his, his 41st symphony, um, you, you feel it. It's, it's there. So he is, is a good choice to listen to. But I, was, I started having some doubts on maybe Mozart being my guy because – he died kind of young. I think he was in his 30s when he died. And there's something lacking in his music, sort of the wisdom of the age, the exploration of, you know, life in retrospect. When you're still 30, you're still looking up, so to speak, and you're still like optimism of life still propels you. And a lot of his music uh, is that sort of optimistic type of music. And so... Um, you know, I'm on a desert island. Maybe I don't always want to hear optimism all the time. Maybe I need something, you know, that can kind of ground me. So then I turn to uh, thinking about somebody else. I'm going to have a Beethoven, I thought. 
Now, Beethoven had a, a longer, similar to Mozart. He's got sonatas, he's got concertos, he's got some amazing symphonies uh, that you could listen to and, and, you know, in depth for many, many, many times. Have I listened to it? I can imagine I can listen to him more. And the agony uh, in, in his, his soul that was laid bare in the music, I think would really touch me in a place like this. If I was on a, on a desert island, I would need something uh, delicate but strong, something that was powerful but yet subtle. I, I think you know Beethoven might be who I might want to go with, but I don't know. Uh, there's a lot out there. So you know, maybe... Maybe I'm thinking too deep. Maybe I want something like Eminem. Maybe, you know, the rapper. It would take me, I don't know how long it would take me to memorize and master his raps. I could just see myself on a desert island trying to talk about mom's spaghetti and all that stuff. Uh, maybe that isn't. Or, or maybe Taylor Swift. Maybe, uh, again, I want something, you know, not going to punish my brain while I'm listening to it. So uh, maybe in just in some enjoyable Taylor Swift. But uh uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts about this. Uh, I know I've, I've obviously, as you can tell, spent some time thinking about it myself, but I'm sure other people have, or maybe I sparked your interest in that. Remember, you can always reach out to us, uh, out to me at omnithepodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, I scored that Gmail address. So omnithepodcast at gmail.com. Block two is about survival. And when I wrote block two, I wasn't necessarily thinking about what we just talked about with block one about the being left on a desert island. This is a different kind of survival. And uh, some of you know, my one of my favorite shows, been watching every season since the first season is Survivor. And always thought that I could do it on Survivor. 40 days, and they are taking care of medical can come in and save them. They get rice and, you know, they have people to help them build the shelters. And so think about survivors, not necessarily survival. Uh, there is another show though, that I also enjoy watching from time to time is called alone. And that is a more of a survivalist kind of show. And, and in case you don't know the premise of the show alone, they take the, <laughs> some lucky contestants uh, usually about 12 or so, 10 or 12 contestants, and they take them to remote locations, usually in cold climates, so up in uh, Alaska or Canada or way down south in South America and places where they drop them off. They get, they get a pack, they get some supplies, and they have to do everything else by themselves. They have no one to talk to. They have to build a shelter. They have to find food, go fishing, and most importantly, keep themselves from going insane on such a, an adventure. And I like that show. And you might be saying, okay, Gifford, why are you bringing this up? Well, I had a little taste of uh, being on this show alone, or at least made me think about that. Um, I was, uh, we just had a massive winter storm here. And it was, uh, it, it, it was one of the storms where you kind of, you feel like, oh, they, they talk about it. Oh, here comes the storm watch. Here's the, you know, I'm watching the news every night. And they actually lit us out of uh, school early, uh, half day on a Friday. And no weather, there was no chance of it snowing on Friday. We're like, okay, yeah, I'll take a half day, whatever. And then Saturday, boom, it hit. And it hit hard. Uh, the temperatures were dropping. As a matter of fact, I think the temperature on Saturday was like 19 or something like that. 
and on that Saturday, uh, we had some precipitation, but it wasn't fluffy snow. Like I like watching the snow where you can watch the individual flakes and you like imagine thudding down on the, on the snow and it building up. Uh, this was the kind of precipitation where it was like freezing rain. You could hear it pinging off of the, uh, off the windows. And then the wind started gusting giant, massive storms of wind that were blowing the trees sideways. And all of a sudden it wasn't as fun, although it wasn't bad. I mean, watching the storm out my window was all right. I was safe, right? I had shelter. I was, I was warm inside and I could watch it. And there was a tree across my street that was blowing and we were kind of like taking like odds, like, is that one going to go over? And across the street, um, a couple of doors down, actually a tree did come down and as the storm progressed, it got so bad that we were for a short while blocked into our neighborhood. There were trees down on either side across the roads. I think the neighbors got out their chainsaws and, and, and made a path through so people could at least get out of the neighborhood if they needed to or, or emergency vehicles could get into the neighborhood. It was quite a storm. And uh, But again, I was safe. I was in my house. No big deal. And then, boom, lights went out. Some tree came down, took out a power line or whatever it was. And the kind of reality of it sets in like all of a sudden fun and all watching, you know, get an extra day off of work and blah, blah, blah. But now it is it's getting serious because the power's out and you're like, well, when is it coming back on? And we don't know. So we're starting to, you know, get concerned about it. It gets later. And of course, it's winter time. So the you know lights go, you know, the, the sun goes down and it is dark. And I realized just um, how maybe unprepared I was for something like this. We didn't have enough candles. Uh, things weren't charged. We didn't have our, you know, we did have some power bricks that uh, didn't have those charged up. And now it was, you know, rubber hits the road. So we did light our candles. We kind of scavenged enough food. We had plenty of snacks. We snacked our way through. And the temperature in the house started going down and going down and going down and it got pretty darn cold so by the next morning when we wake up we still have no power they haven't even given us an estimate of when we're getting more power back on and i'm i'm in my long johns uh, i've got a hat on eventually it was about like 43 degrees in our house so i had like a big winter coat on uh i was layered up and just freezing cold like in the house you can see my breath in the house and you're like think well okay your house is supposed to be warm but we don't have working fireplaces and we rely on that, on that electricity. And of course, without the electricity, then our cell phones were running out of juice. I did was able to get into my electric car and drive around, but power goes out fast on those in the, in the winter time, cause you're using the heater and sucking it up. And it got really kind of, um, a little uncomfortable for a while there thinking about that. So that, you know, by night two, still no power. Um, I was in bed with, uh, my full on long Johns, uh, you know, basically fully clothed. I had a, my little knit hat on over, pulling my covers over it. And that was when I thought about being on the show alone, not to go on and on too much about this storm. Uh, but it did kind of get me thinking about the idea of survival. Like I obviously wasn't even prepared for to have my power out for a few days and internet internet out for a few more days. But I live in a very active earthquake zone, and we constantly are being warned of the big one coming. We have at school, we have our earthquake drills several times a, a year. They have shake drills, whatever they call them, and all the kids have to go underneath the desks and check out all the gum that's underneath the desks. 
But if there was a big one, the, the big earthquake, uh, I might rather be at school than at home. My house was built in the 60s, and I have a feeling if there was a big earthquake, it just might come a-tumbling down. They talk about a big earthquake taking out all of the bridges and overpasses, so how would I even get home if I was at work and had to come home from that? And, of course... Um, then how are we going to get food? And I'm sure the power is going to be out. Probably the water is going to be disrupted. No internet. Probably cell towers are going to come down. It could be quite a disaster. And they say that the best way to survive something like this, getting back to the idea of survival, is having your uh, you know, preparation. So you have like a week's worth of water and food rations and extra clothing and blankets and your flashlights. I don't know everything else that's in there. There's lists that they have made for that. And of course, do I have, have I made a, a safety preparation kit, my little first aid uh, bag you know, ready to go in case something happens, I can grab it and we can head out. No, I don't have that. Of course. But in light of what I've just been talking about, I've been thinking I might need to do something like that, get one of those bags together. And then I was thinking about maybe, you know, that's kind of local, like we have an earthquake here, that's not going to affect everybody. But what about a global disaster? How would I survive something like that? Uh, I remember as a kid growing up, we were always, uh, you know, thinking about the Cold War and a nuclear exchange. And a nuclear exchange would be uh, devastating to say the least. There's estimates that you know, 80% of the population would die within the first two years. There's people that die in the initial blast, and then there's the radiation. Those people die of sickness soon after that, and then there is the uh, the change in the climate that's going to come, all the particles. So you have the nuclear winter, whatever, and so then the crops fail, then there's famine. Infrastructure's broken, so you can't move things around. People can't move to you know safer areas or something like that, and I remember when I was in school, we had a, an actual fallout shelter. Now, we didn't do in the 80s, we didn't do any drills where we go into the fallout shelter. As a matter of fact, I never saw it. I just saw the signs that we had one in, in the mysterious basement of the place. And I was like, why would you want to go in there to try to survive? If they're throwing nuclear missiles around and 80% of the population dies, is that something that you want to live through? Is that something where you want to be, uh, hey, I survived the nuclear war? Sorry, the 80% of the population that didn't. Um, and as a matter of fact, like if there was going to be a nuclear war, I'm not going into the shelter. Like I'm just trying to find ground zero and like, hey, let the let the bomb hit me right in the head. You know, I'm, I'm here. I don't want to be around to see that. What's the point of that survival? And I was thinking then I'm not I'm not the quality of for survival. I'm not the, the guy that's going to grind it out. And I'm not blaming myself for not having survival skills or that desire to carry on and build a brand new world. I am a product of my society, the people that brought me up. I went to public education and I had some private schools. Never did I take a survival class. I have a master's degree and I don't know how to build a shelter. I don't know how to hunt large game or fish with any sort of efficiency. Those just were not skills that I was taught. And so I don't feel that there's something deficient in me as somebody that has not been able to develop survival skills. It's more of being survival skills of needing my society to survive. My survival skills is making sure I have a healthy community, people that want to engage and want to prosper and want to survive because I'm only going to survive if my community survives. And 
whether it's the linemen that come out and rehook up my power for me when it comes down, or it's the emergency safety network and, and school drills that we have to keep myself safe in an earthquake, I will have to depend on that. And so I have to invest my safety in them. But yeah, I could probably get myself a survival bag and maybe make that a priority for me. Block three today is going to be three things philosophy, uh, near and dear to me. And we're going to be talking about Marcus Aurelius. And for the first thing, people want to know who the heck is Marcus Aurelius? Who's this guy? Your name drop in here, Gifford. What is this? And you might be surprised by that he was a Roman emperor uh, and ruled for nearly 20 years from 161 to 180 CE. And for those of you who are light on the Roman history, he was an emperor about 200 years after the fall of the Republic. So that was when Julius Caesar took over and started ruling by fiat. And after Caesar, there were ups and downs in the empire. There were good emperors. There were bad emperors. There were so-so emperors. Uh, and dare I say, there were some very evil emperors. So when Marcus Aurelius was emperor, uh, the uh, the empire was still strong. Uh, the fall, as they say, was still a ways off. You might say the decay had started, the, the rot had started uh, creeping in, but there was still the Roman Empire, I think, as we classically think of it. And uh, I guess it's a thing on TikTok these days. People are asking, do you think about the Roman Empire? Yeah, I do actually still think about the Roman Empire. It still impacts my daily life. And, you know, Marcus Aurelius is a good example of that. Uh, he was known as the Philosopher King. Sounds kind of a, a hoity-toity uh, title to have. But this is why I wanted to bring him into three things philosophy. This isn't a history podcast, so to speak, even though I kind of would like to talk a little more history on this podcast. Uh, I want to make things relevant. Uh, and as a as the Philosopher King, he made uh, his his style of rule, you might say, was to focus on wisdom and virtue. He wanted justice. He wanted to have a fair hand and make wise choices. It's really, in our current political atmosphere in the world today, it's really hard to imagine uh, a leader using that as his grounding force that he wants to. And as emperor, he wrote his famous book, Meditations, which is still highly regarded uh, as a philosophical work. And again, it's kind of hard to imagine a current politician writing a philosophy uh, book. And so second thing philosophy, uh, now that we've got a little background on who Marcus Aurelius was, is what was his philosophy? Uh, he was a Stoic. And without making this into a three things philosophy on Stoicism, which I would like to do at some point, have one of those, I just wanted to bring in um, to, you know, some casual fans, just a, a little primer, a quick uh, catch up here on Stoicism. So Stoicism uh, was a Greek philosophy. Third century BCE credited a guy named Zeno of Citium, Citium. I'm not good on my Greek pronunciations, but Stoicism values reason f for understanding the world or, or that the world could be understood through reason. Virtue is something that could be discovered and nurtured. You can grow virtue. Uh, and that should be uh, your guide for living. Stoicism is sort of a plan on how to live. And Stoics also are well known for their 
uh, their belief in controlling their emotions. Neither highs nor lows should impact how you act. You should be sort of that constant. Um, Stoics uh, know the importance of enduring hardships with a calm and steady attitude. Uh, facing the loss of a child, you have to bear that and understand that that is part of the life cycle and you don't cry and break down over that. And they recognize that things are out of your control and that your focus should be on controlling what you can control your, yourself. So, um, and to be clear, I'm not a stoic. Uh, there are many aspects I admire. Obviously, there's some, some really good um, ways, I think, that help people guide their life, but it, it doesn't satisfy Gifford. It's not what I like. Uh, you know, why control your emotions at a good time? When I'm at a, when I'm at a soccer game, I don't want to control my, you know, oh, great goal, clap, clap, clap. No, I am screaming my head off. And when I'm, when I'm sad and upset, I want to cry. And again, I don't want to make this about stoicism. I just, uh, I, I respect stoicism. And I respect people that, that follow stoicism. Um, it's just, it's not for me. So back to Marcus Aurelius. So he was a Stoic. He was an emperor. And he used then this Stoic philosophy to guide his rule. He, again, was trying to be virtuous. And virtue is something that you can build up. So a lot of his writings in his book Meditations was about the virtuous character, how to define it, what it is. And he spent a lot of time uh, with this concept of preparing yourself. Every day was a new day, new challenges, new opportunities. And he had this whole... Um, routine, you might say, that he went through to to get himself up. And as emperor, he also was guided by the idea that um, that that there's duty and people needed to live up to obligations and needed to contribute to the the common good, the greater good. And I can't emphasize it'd be so nice if we had some modern politicians that actually did that, actually looked up for the common good, not what gets them reelected. And he's known as the philosopher king in large part in reflection of uh, another Greek philosopher, Plato. And Plato, one of his famous writings was called The Republic. And in The Republic, Plato argues that the best type of government uh, was a king, having a monarch, having one person that can make the rules, uh, decide things. There's not infighting. There's not bickering going on. And so... Um, but Plato also recognized that, yes, that might be the most ideal form of government, but they tend to be corrupt. And so for Plato, he said the, the best thing would be to have a, a king who had, could look beyond his own needs, could look at the, the welfare of the people, to have a strong moral compass. That's who could rule best. And Marcus Aurelius might be one of the few instances in, in history where we see a true philosopher cling. I think that there are a couple examples maybe in China that I could point to if I did a little more digging on that. Um, but it doesn't, it's not really something that we find very common. We know the, the trope about absolute power corrupts absolutely. And just by putting one person, giving him the reins of power, but not educating him on virtue and goodness uh, does not lead to good ends. Now, I'm not going to argue with Plato about the best forms of government. I mean, he, he read the Republic. He argues with himself and plenty of that uh, because I'm a, I'm a person inherently opposed to all of the powers of the state residing in one person. Uh, however, it is important to recognize that maybe Plato was on to, uh, you know, an idea of a, a guiding principle and that we should have more of that in our, our leaders that we have. And so, 
we can't just hope for the next Marcus Aurelius to, to come along because uh, we haven't had one since him. Now, that was a lot about Marcus Aurelius and Stoicism, but I want to get now to uh, our third thing on, uh, on Three Things Philosophy is about his book, Meditations. Uh, again, he wrote this as um, the emperor, and it is still widely uh, regarded as, uh, as a cinemal text uh, on Stoicism. And so there's a lot of good, you know, Stoic philosophy, but also really because, as I said, uh, Stoicism is a guide for living your life. There's a lot of things that can help a lot of people in there. And I'm just going to touch on a couple of these things that I think resonate with me. And first off, I admire his views on friendship. And by the nature of Stoicism, they would say that a Stoic doesn't need friendship. They, you know, they live, you know with you know that calmness that they have however stoics recognize that they value friendships and marcus aurelius writes a whole bunch about how um that the people out there that may want to be your friend act like your friend but your real friends are the ones that stick with you uh in bad times real friends are the ones that are going to say something that maybe you don't want to hear they're willing to disagree with you and fake friends, and, and he has a whole list of the things that attributes of fake friends. But he talks about how fake friends will say whatever expedites their needs and what helps them out, not necessarily what helps you out. And if you're looking for friends, because we all know these people that will say something that is in their benefit. It may not be true for you or say, yeah, yeah, you should do it. it no, maybe you shouldn't do it, but they're not going to say no because it's, it's not them doing it. A real friend would say, hey, m maybe you shouldn't do that. Maybe you should reconsider that. Also, as far as uh, friends go, Marcus Shelley says, you should be careful when you pick your friends. You should pick people uh, wisely to be your friends and, and, they, and pick in them the characters that you also want to be. So you should be very concerned about who and what they are and, and those and then have those as being your friends. So you don't have a lot of friends, but you have some friends that reflect, again, your desires. And then last on his uh, on the topic of friends here was that uh, he points out that that friends aren't perfect. People aren't perfect. Your friends aren't perfect. And you need to accept that, that sometimes they they do stuff and you have to accept their their faults, their flaws if you want to foster friendships, if you want to have that one person that's going to stick with you in a bad time or give you the truth when you need to hear the truth, then you have to accept the fact that they are not perfect people and that they have their flaws. And I just, you know, it's like, damn, you know, 2000 years ago, this guy's writing and it really couldn't be more relevant in people's lives today. Next things from meditation. Uh, I touched on this earlier with this idea of obligation that people need to live up to that, to the duties they have. And that may sound maybe a little Confucius, uh, but I think Marcus, Olivia, uh, Marcus Aurelius, being a Westerner, uh, sees duty as something that is a bind, that binds individuals with the whole, that we are doing something, um, we are not separate from the community, but we are part of the community. Now, even the non-emotional Stoics recognize the importance of being... Um, in the community and it isn't all right for you to withdraw from the community when things are hard or when things aren't going well that if you want to have a good life you have to have a good community and that takes you know again living up to your obligations as a member of that community 
And that duty, not as only to our community, but also to nature, he sees that same sort of pattern there that we have to have duty to be good stewards of the land. And the best way to do that would be to live in harmony with nature, to not try to impose ourselves on nature. And again, here's a guy, uh, you know, thousands of years ago writing this, but it still rings true today. And then, okay, so finally, the last thing about the philosopher king that I want to get to is uh, he writes about the importance of living in the moment, that people should have a full awareness of their current situation. And this, again, resonates with people that we should not live in the past. We can't change, but we should not fantasize about the future. But to be here right now, that's your most important goal. And the only way to make good decisions, and of course, as an emperor, that was important to him, was to be mindful of where you are right now. There's no greater challenge than the present, and it is in those challenges, it's in the present, uh, that w creates opportunities, creates the ability to you know, control your, your life and what's going on around you. It's not going to happen in the past. It's not going to happen in the future. It's understanding that right now. And so many things, of course, are out of our control, and so by being in the present is the, the best way to have control of what you can control in yourself. And that's the best way to live, according to Marcus Aurelius. And finally, 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 I'll leave you with a quote from uh, his book, Meditations. Do not act as if you were going to live 10,000 years. Death hangs over you while you live, while it is in your power. Be good. That's it for the show today. Uh, thank you all so much for uh, letting me join you in your earbuds with whatever you're doing. And a uh, big shout out to, I guess the only shout out is to myself for uh, making this happen, getting it together, writing this, producing this whole thing by myself. Uh, I will try next time to have a guest on. Again, this isn't my idea to be a solo project. Uh, however, it is what it is for now. And if it has to be another solo one next time, although again, not my intention. So let's keep positive and I will have a co-host uh, next time. And we'll talk about some other delightful topics. Remember, you can follow us on the Instagram at Omni the Podcast. And of course, uh, keep those emails coming in at uh, omnithepodcast.gmail.com. Until next time.